Good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us for an inspiring new episode. Whether you love your practice or career or hate it, you should be thinking about how to insulate yourself and your family from the risk of becoming too dependent on a single source of income. There could be an economic downturn, there could be changing winds in your industry, or you might just get burned out and tired of it. If you're looking for a blueprint on just how to do that while still working full-time in a fast-paced career, today's guest will lay it all out there for you on how he accomplished just that same feat. Clive Davis is a Columbia Law grad and former big law and in-house corporate attorney who has successfully escaped the rat race through investing passively in well over 2,000 units in multifamily and hotels diversified across the nation and is now focused on continuing to build his passive wealth while also investing actively. Okay, let's get going. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Clyde, my man, welcome to the show. How you doing, Seth? Ah, doing great, man, doing great. So we'll just dive right in, man. So you're a pretty, pretty, very well-experienced attorney, but fully recovered at this point, is that right? Fully recovered. Um, you know, I went through that transition, but I am now on the other side, the, the, the lighter side, I would say. <laughs> Nice, man. Well, tell me a little bit about your story and, and just feel free to brag a little bit. Yeah, so the, the story is um, come from humble beginnings. Uh, I, I'm an immigrant uh, born to Jamaican parents. Uh, I was actually born in London. Um, parents transitioned to the U.S. in the mid 80s. And, uh, you know, I'm a public school kid um, until I uh, made the decision to go to law school, uh, which is when I uh, made what I think is the right decision to attend Columbia, which I'm representing today. I like it. Um, so one, one of the best uh, law schools in the country in one of the best cities in the world. So, um, you know, I, I had the fortune of attending there and, and being in close proximity to some of the, the best legal minds in the business, both on the um, you know peers, student side, as well as faculty, as well as alumni. So that that really turned me on to a lot of the opportunities that I was later able to go on and, and take advantage of. Awesome, man! Yeah, Columbia is not too bad of a school. I think so. It's a, it's a, <laughs> great, it's a great school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your previous law practice and what you loved about it, what you hated about it. Yeah. So I, the the funny story is that when I went to law school, I had no idea that I was going to end up being a corporate transactional lawyer, which is what I would go on to do. Um, and the reason I knew I, I had no idea that I was going to do that, because I had no idea what a corporate transactional lawyer was before I went to law school. Um, but um, I got my start uh, at a Wall Street uh, white shoe law firm, uh, Big Law. And, um, you know, I did a basic rotation through mergers and acquisitions. I did a little bit of general banking, uh, did some real estate, um, got to work on some trophy assets in, in Manhattan. And um, ultimately, I assigned to the capital markets group and became a, um, a securities lawyer uh, working on debt and equity offerings. 
um, for the likes of Morgan Stanley, uh, Goldman Sachs, and, and, and you name it. So, um, you know, it was really a world that was really brand new to me and gave me kind of access and insight into, you know, how things are done at the very highest levels. Um, and so, you know, I love that exposure. I love that opportunity from a work-life balance. I was still young enough where work-life balance wasn't something <laughs> I was thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, but then at a certain point when you, um, you know, you decide to get married, the children start coming, that's when you start thinking, okay, um, going into work and not necessarily knowing what time you're going to come home, if you're going to come home, uh, whether or not you're going to need to uh, catch some Z's under your desk um, <laughs> and then freshen up in the rest and relaxation room. Um, not knowing whether or not you're going to get that call on Thursday that says you need to be doing due diligence in DC in an in a office with uh, no windows. You know, those are the types of things which are all examples of you not necessarily being able to control your life. Um, so you're highly compensated, you're well compensated, um, but your life isn't necessarily your own. And so I, like many people before me, started looking for you know, what's my out of this situation. Um, I didn't have any delusions or aspirations of becoming a partner in that world. Um, even if that was something that was viable, um, which I'm not sure it was, that wasn't something that was of interest to me. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of pivoted like many before me have done and I decided to go in-house. And, and so I transitioned to be in-house counsel for Pfizer uh, which happened to be about a block or two away from where I was uh, at the firm. And I did a number of things within that world, um, pretty much a generalist within that world, doing a little bit of strategic acquisition consulting, um, little import-export product support, marketing support. So gave me a broad um, exposure to a lot of different aspects of that business. So that, that was really great and then ultimately I, I was in the early days of setting up Pfizer's compliance um, program. There were a lot of hands on that, a lot of contributions to that effort. This is in the early 2000s now. And um, ultimately they transitioned me to Atlanta, which is where I'm located now. And um, a couple of years beyond that, I went on to become a chief compliance officer for a Belgian biopharma. So, all throughout that period, I was getting further and further away from, from what I would call traditional law practice. Sure. And, um, you know, it worked for me. And, and um, you know, all in all, I had a, a strong 20-year corporate run before making the transition to real estate, which we'll, we'll talk about. Gotcha. And when, at what point in your career did you have kind of that aha moment like, you know, you transitioned out of your traditional practice into in-house and then you were thinking, oh man, I really want to get out of this as well and start looking at real estate or alternative investments in general. Sure. I'm not sure it was any one moment. I, I would say that just the way that I got into kind of law school and kind of fell into corporate law. Um, when I went to law school, I kind of had bought into with a law degree in hand, you can pretty much do anything. And so I always had aspirations of being at least what I thought an entrepreneur was. And so I figured until I could figure out exactly where I'd find my niche, you know, go get this law degree because at the end of the day, that's gonna be very useful to whatever it is that you do. So um, my aha moment may have been even before I actually started, um, 
it just took me 20 years or so for me to work my way back to, uh, you know, what I initially, initially envisioned as being kind of, you know, where I was destined to be. And so a, a great journey and experience get into it. Um, but I knew very early on that, you know, the, the lifestyle of kind of big law was not something that I wanted to do long term surrounded by successful people um, that would be successful by any measure. Um, but that was not the lifestyle and, and that was not who I envisioned myself as being for kind of the rest of my life. Gotcha. Yeah, man, that all makes sense. And then you mentioned that, you know, your law degree, um, you know, opened up a lot of doors for you and, you know, it can open up a lot of doors for all of our listeners. Could you maybe dive into that a little bit more about, you know, some of the doors that it opened for you or just some, you know, some, uh, some knowledge on, you know, how that opens up the doors for everyone. Cause some of us are stuck in our practice and we're like, oh man, should we even went to law school and wasted all this time? But yeah. really you can use that law degree for anything. Yeah, and, and that's so true. I mean, there, there are actually books out there that talk about making the transition from kind of traditional law into so many other things. Mm -hmm. um, and because we're so close to it, we don't necessarily see that. It, we don't appreciate how valued the profession is by those who are not necessarily directly in that world. And so, um, you know, for me, as I'm making the transition now into real estate, um, you know, I mentioned to you earlier that I, I've been investing kind of passively, kind of peripherally in real estate for almost, you know, a little over 20 years for that matter. And um, now that I'm making that transition full-time into real estate and this business is all about relationships and so, when you're trying to break into something, you're trying to establish relationships, credibility is key. And so, yeah. you know, the first thing anyone's going to do in kind of sizing you up or assessing you is they're going to try and see, you know, is this person legit? What's their background? And your ability to say that I, I, I'm a practicing lawyer or I practice law or I practiced in this particular area gives you immediate credibility, um, whether it's earned or not. <laughs> it gives you immediate credibility yeah. because people kind of attribute to you a certain level of seriousness and um, also a certain level of, of success um, because it, it, you, know, you don't just go to law school and kind of flop your way through. You've gotta be disciplined um, and you've gotta kind of have that certain level of seriousness. So you can take that with you into any kind of relationship building that you're trying to do, any network that you're trying to break into that is going to give you immediate credibility and, and and that is not to be underestimated so a lot of times when i'm looking to um have conversations with folks and you know they look me up they look at my background they see what i've done while it doesn't directly relate to real estate um they again attribute a certain level of credibility to my background and what i've done what i've been exposed to and that gets me an entryway into conversations into rooms into networks that i might not have had access to otherwise and so i think that's going to be true for for anyone who's um done any level of kind of legal work and and um you know, has, has put in the work to go to law school and then go, go delve into, again, doesn't matter what type of law you're doing. Uh, there's no one size fits all. Corporate law 
as a generalist, obviously has a, you know, it lends itself to you being useful in a number of different areas. Um, but pretty much it's the discipline, it's the, the legal mind, it's the, the, the analysis, um, it's the skill set that you, you gain as a lawyer um, that is really going to be valued. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, man. It comes down to credibility. I mean, it just opens doors for you. As soon as someone hears that you're a corporate attorney or a real estate attorney or just an attorney, you know, their ears perk up and you're automatically already taken to another level. So you shouldn't undervalue the value of your degree. Absolutely. And so, you know, when you're trying to break into those new areas, um, you've got to, you know, that's got to be part of your, your, your cell is, you know, just like when you go into an interview, um, even if you don't, you've not done the job that you're seeking, you've got to be able to say, look, I have a transferable skill set that would serve this position, serve this company, serve this partnership, whatever it is, um, and, and go in, go into it and add it from that angle. And, and, and again, I think, uh, that law degree is going to serve you well, you paid a lot for it. So you might as well leverage, <laughs> leverage it to, to the extent that you can. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I want to circle back to kind of a, a topic you touched on a little bit, but I think a lot of our listeners, you know, that are high income earning professionals suffer from this problem and they don't even realize it, but, you know, maybe describe your experience of being kind of shackled to the, to the golden handcuffs, so to speak. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem of privilege, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so, right. So those of us that are privileged to say that, you know, whether we are now or we were in the past, that we, we earned a high income, um, the deeper and more experience that you get in that world, the problem becomes bigger because you're, you're generally your compensation is going to improve over time. Your participation in stock options, bonuses and things tend to improve over time. And so it becomes harder and harder for you to envision or imagine yourself living without that high compensation. And so when you start assessing what are my alternatives and how do they stack up to what I'm being compensated now, most things are not going to rise to that level. And so you've got to make a decision at some point in your life, and I've made it a couple times during my career that I'm okay with taking a step back from a, either a compensation standpoint or a position standpoint, because I know I'm doing it purposefully and I know the reason that I'm doing it. And sometimes you gotta take one step back in order to move in the direction that you wanna move. And so um, you really gotta be planning um, and establish kind of a runway in front of you. If you know that you wanna exit the legal world and you're currently highly compensated, you've got to be positioning yourself so that either you're saving or investing aggressively so that that landing is going to be softened when you ultimately decide to step off. And so um, I think I was pretty purposeful about that. And, and there was nothing abrupt about my departure from corporate life. Um, I had been thinking about, okay, you know, I, I'm, I have, I've reached a certain level of success. Yes, I'm highly compensated, but is this what I want to do for the next 20 or 30 years of my life? And the answer was a resounding no. And so therefore, something's got to give. And in my case, it was, okay, for some period of time, I'm not going to be as highly compensated as that. 
Um, but I can work my way back to that. And that's kind of the, the game plan. So you take that step back in order to step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. So let's, let's talk about that kind of transition out and how you broke free. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned that I I've been investing in real estate since actually my very first real estate, um, investment kind of was a, a little bit of creative financing. I, in my, I think it was my final year of law school. I still had a little bit of loan eligibility remaining. And so I, leverage that loan eligibility to invest in what was my first real estate purchase, uh, which was my first home out of law school in New York City, in Long Island City, New York. Um, and we were able to get a one bedroom, one bath uh, condo right out, of, right out of school, which is for most New Yorkers unheard of. <laughs> um, and so there's a backstory there, but I'll, I'll spare you those details. But we were able to acquire something right out of school. And um, I still own that property until this day. We haven't lived there since 2001. Um, but it's actually um, on the waterfront across from the United Nations in Long Island City, New York. It's actually adjacent to the parcel of land that Amazon was looking to place its headquarters, its second headquarters at before that whole deal fell apart. But in any event, um, uh, so I've been investing all the way back since then, 1997. Um, along the way, even while I was a lawyer, I was acquiring a duplex here, um, a five unit there, but it was always peripheral. I was never relying on it as a primary source of income. Um, and you know, it's really at the end of 2016 when I flipped that on its head and, and decided to make the transition into real estate full-time. And I wanted to do it at scale. So no more kind of onesie twosie. So I made the decision that I've got to work my way into or maneuver my way into large scale multifamily, which is what I was most familiar with. Um, I know some people who have had success with it and so I kind of set, set out on a journey of educating myself uh, via podcasts, books, attending conferences, which is something I, I had never done before. Any conferences I had attended before, it was because it was related to my job um, right. and you know, someone else was paying for it. But the thought of me <laughs> paying to attend some conference for education was unheard of before that. Right. And, um, you know, again, totally flipped that on its head because I started attending in-person real estate conferences in, in Dallas and in, in, in DC and, and, you know, across the country, all with the mind of learning about real estate, educating myself um, on what it takes to get into this space. I eventually got into a mentorship, real estate mentoring uh, group. And, um, you know, that gave me exposure to people who, are professionals from all walks of life, you know, doctors, lawyers, uh, engineers, people in IT, all of whom have had some measure or level of success in their, their professional life, but were seeking an off-ramp. Um, and so for some of them, you know, they were kind of setting out on a, you know, in five years, I don't want to be doing this anymore. And so what can I be doing in the interim and what can I be doing, you know, five years from now? Um, there are others who had more aggressive timelines. There are others who love what they're doing professionally 
have no plans of leaving what they're doing professionally, but they know and realize and appreciate the benefits of investing in real estate, especially given some of the alternatives that were traditionally pushed towards and pushed into um, without necessarily you know, knowing that there are other options that are at our disposal. Right. Right. What's what's kind of your opinion on, you know, those traditional investments versus some alternative investments such as real estate or, you know, other types of alternative investments. But what's what's kind of just your general opinion on how we get kind of pushed in that? And a lot of us just don't even know anything other than that. And then you talk about real estate. And the only thing we think about is you know flipping a house or buying, you know, a single family house and don't realize that you can invest in commercial real estate projects, you know, actively or passively. Absolutely. So when you're when you get into the corporate world, however you you get into it, um, you're going to be steered towards and told you need to invest in a, in your 401k. Um, it would be um, <laughs> irresponsible for you not to. And <laughs> right. and here are the options that that you should be looking at. We have these ten, these twelve options, and you should you should have a diversified portfolio. It should be split between you know maybe it's thirty percent bonds, sixty percent uh, equities, 10%, you know, you're, you're given this cookie cutter um, model um, that is serving others' interests because, you know, there are so many fees in, in the millions and billions that are being generated off people investing in these cookie cutter portfolios um, where you have no control over your investments. Um, if the market is up, things look good. If the market's down, things don't look good. And, and if you're looking to exit at a time when it's down, then you know, you're not exiting. You're going to work for another five years until the market's back up. Yep. And so if you're looking for some level of control, I, I think, and it's hard for us as professionals who are working, especially you know, if you're a lawyer and you're putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week, the last thing you want to do is, is to, to really be kind of actively managing your investments. The, the prudent thing to do is to turn that over to a professional who's going to do that for you and, and, and take that off your plate. Um, but you've got to realize that um, that's not necessarily in your best interest longer term. And so um, while I, for most of my time, I've invested in the stock market, responsible thing to do. That's what I knew. I didn't necessarily know right. about alternatives. The real estate even that I was investing in was kind of go get the, the duplex or, or the, you know, the two unit or the one unit. Um, it, what, you know, I didn't know about the world of commercial real estate and, and, and the different entry points. And so even as a capital markets attorneys working on Reg D offerings, um, you know, I didn't appreciate that, you know, that's how people are um, investing in these opportunities. And so for me, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, when I left corporate life, I pretty much moved all of my money out of the stock market. And so I had no idea, I, I came to learn, and I talked about that education earlier, I came to learn about self-directed IRAs. And so um, it's nothing more than a marketing phrase because it's basically an IRA. An IRA is an IRA, but a self-directed IRA affords you the opportunity to move any legacy 401k monies that you may have from a, a prior employer that you have sitting idly somewhere that's in one of those 10 or 12 different investments 
in one of those safe portfolios, it gives you the opportunity to move that into a self-directed IRA where you now are the 100% um, primary person responsible for your investments. And so either that money sits in cash and, and does nothing for you or you actively deploy it. And so I think of all of the money in self-directed IRAs, probably 60 to 70% of it is being deployed into real estate or more broadly commercial real estate. Um, but you can pretty much invest in anything. I think the only things you can't invest in are collectibles um, and I think pre precious metals. Um, I think those are the two things, um, but, but you can look that up if, if you wanna know more about that. But outside of that, you know, sky's the limit. And so um, you wanna be an educated investor. So if you're now gonna be uh, deploying your funds and, and this is kind of your retirement, essentially that you're, you're putting in play, you wanna make sure that you're doing that responsibly. So for me, getting educated, um, and then even the investments that I was making was part of that education, right? So, um, you know, as an accredited investor, and, and, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that term, they've heard that before, but as an, an accredited investor, someone who's either, you have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding your personal residence, or you, in the last couple of years, you've made 200K or more with an expectation of making the same in the current year. Um, as an accredited investor, many of your listeners are gonna fall into that category. You have the opportunity to invest into investment opportunities that most people will never hear about um, because they just are not in those circles. They don't meet that definition. But if you meet that definition, now you have the opportunity to invest in passively, to invest in opportunities that are being offered by high level institutional level sponsors who are raising private equity to put into these deals. And so I've had the, the opportunity to invest in uh, stabilized multifamily um, opportunities uh, development and redevelopment opportunities. You know, I've invested in San Francisco, DC, Florida, Georgia, all across the country, primarily stabilized multifamily, but also ground up development. Um, I've done a few deals now, I've invested in a few deals now where I've been able to get into some pretty unique projects, uh, whether they be micro unit developments in San Francisco where um, workforce housing is 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 almost unheard of, and and, <laughs> and and it's you know they're so challenged for that, like most of the country. Um, and I've also uh, been able to get into kind of redevelopment of office space into multifamily. So um, my my general approach tends to be invest in things that I would invest in were I the sponsor, you know you know somewhere down the line. And so those are the projects that are sexy to me. Um, that also give me the opportunity to learn even while my money is working for me. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a beautiful part of it is diversification. I mean, you said you're investing in San Francisco and all over the country yep. and in different types of asset classes and, and properties. And that's the beautiful part about it. You can, you can not necessarily have to be an expert in each one of those asset types or markets and still diversify in that way. Absolutely. I'm also invested in hotels uh, here in Atlanta. Now, hotels are experiencing and hospitality generally are, is experiencing a rough time right now with COVID. But, you know, in the longer term, you know, uh, they'll, they'll recover. And, and, you know, that's part of my 
general kind of diversification. That, that's one thing I learned from those traditional uh, uh, investments that you push into when you kind of get into the corporate world is diversification is a good thing. Um, that, that is a universal truth. Yeah, Got one good thing out of it. Anything else. <laughs> so once, once we get that education, that self-education, uh, you know, many of us are caught at a, at a crossroads where we're, you know, we want to explore real estate and we're at the point where we want to take action, but then we need to decide, you know, what capacity do we want to get involved? So what are your thoughts about, you know, attorneys and other professionals that are, you know, currently working at W2 and, and getting paid well for it, but what are, your, what are your thoughts about, you know, considering active versus passive investing? Yeah, so I, I think passive investing is, is kind of the perfect way for you to determine is this something that I want to do potentially actively down the line? And so you may invest passively, you continue working, you're doing your nine to five or nine to nine or whatever it is, um, you continue <laughs> to do that. Um, but it gives you an entryway to say, okay, I, I think I, I might be interested in real estate. I hear all of the positives about investing in real estate. I hear about the tax benefits um, of investing in real estate and, and therefore I wanna put some money to play. So I'm not advocating you to totally exit the stock market in the way that I did, um, but maybe 30% or 40% of your disposable investment dollars get redirected outside of the stock market. And, and a good portion of that maybe gets directed into real estate. And the way to do that is to um, get exposure to sponsors, um, to individuals who are doing the types of deals that you have an interest in. And maybe you, know, you put 50K in one deal, you put 75 in another. Um, so nothing that's gonna sink the ship. Um, um, but it gives you enough exposure for you to say, okay, I've seen this. Um, now this goes full cycle. I, I kind of seen it from A to Z. And, um, you know, maybe you want to put some more money at, at risk. And so maybe it's, instead of the 50 or the 75, you want to put 100K in or 125, you know, to whatever your, your particular situation is. And that's a way for you to earn uh, educational knowledge and experience, as well as the return on investments over the time of that, that hold. So if you're looking for passive income, you're not necessarily relying on it, but it starts to give you a taste and flavor for how you can generate money without necessarily, you know, swinging the ax uh, metaphorically. And so, um, in seeing those deals and getting exposure to those deals, you'll get a sense for, is this something that I think that, you know, I might want to do myself? Um, now, if you've been doing that for one, two, three years before you ultimately exit your, your, your work life, your, your legal job, or, or whatever your career is, um, you're going to be making relationships over the course of that time. Uh, you're going to be familiarizing yourself with the market um particular geographies particular asset types and so again you're putting your money to work but that's also part of your education and so i, I call it my self-directed real estate mba is what i've been doing <laughs> um, so i'm deploying my own money and putting my money where my mouth is um and i'm getting educated by some of the folks who are doing it at the very highest levels and um you know, that's, that's, that's the only education that I want at this point. I'm, I'm not going back to school. Um, so that's as close to it as I'm going to get.
That's fantastic advice, man. That's I've heard that time and time again. It's like, why don't you invest passively? Learn the ropes. You you get self educated so much just by investing in, in one passive deal, and then decide later if you want to get on the active side after you've done it a couple of times, and it might be something you want to dedicate more time to, and then transition out of the law or stay in it and just keep investing passively. I mean, that's a very viable route that many people have done as well. Yeah. It also informs you on what type of sponsor you may want to be. So in my world of multifamily investment, um, there are sponsors who are very communicative. Um, and then there are sponsors who it's like, is, is this person still alive? Yeah. You, know, you know, I got to send out, you know, call 911. I can't get a response from this person. And so you can also see what good looks like just on, on the passive side. And if you have that itch to become an active investor, you're probably saying to yourself, well, that, that looked good. I, I want to do more of that and not so much of that. And so, again, all of this is laying the groundwork for you if you ultimately want to make that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of attorneys are just conservative by nature. I mean, how do we, what's some advice on getting people kind of over that hump of just put your head down and bill a bunch of hours, bill, 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 and then, you know, just rely on your 401k for retirement? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone's got to do that self-reflection and ask themselves, what do I want out of life? Um, and, and that's got to, whatever that it is, you got to figure out, is the path that I'm on now the best way for me to get there? Or are there alternatives um, that are shorter or maybe more circuitous? Uh, but nonetheless are, are going to get me there in the way that I want to get there. And, and so when you do that self-reflection, you know, that's, that's going to kind of give you your North star as to, you know, how, how do I, how do I move forward? Um, but, um, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be different for everyone. And, and I think it's going to be based on your circumstances, but you got to make that decision that, um, you know, this, this is what I want. And the path that I'm on is either serving me well in that pursuit or it's not. And if you have an inkling that, you know, working hard in the 401k is not going to cut it, or that's not, that's not what you want to be doing in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you got to start thinking about, okay, I've got to find an off-ramp. And, and so, again, there are, there are things that you can be doing while you continue to work, um, uh, you know, continue the billables, um, if that's what you can do. Um, but, but think about what you can do alongside that. And I wish someone had given me the advice that even what I'm doing now, I didn't need to wait 20 years to start investing in the types of real estate that I'm investing in. I didn't need to wait 20 years to start getting the education that I've been getting over the last couple of years. I could have been doing a lot of that in parallel track. And, and so I would encourage anyone who's who's in that legal world now um, to just explore some alternatives to kind of the 401k, work hard, put your head down, explore some alternatives, because that's the only way you're going to know whether or not something is more attractive to you, more appealing to you. And, um, and uh, yeah, I get it. I'm a lawyer too, so um, I'm conservative by nature. Um, but diversification, I, I think, is, is a principle of, of risk management. And 
just relying on a, on a high paying job and a 401k, I think that's very risky. Right. <laughs> um, and so I now find myself in a position and I was mentioning this to a friend of mine recently that I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now. Um, and for me, I, I spend time thinking about, well, if this doesn't work out, I may have to go get a job. That's my worst case scenario. I'd rather be in this position than be in a job. And my worst case scenario be, what happens if I lose my job? Um, you know, if I, you know, piss my boss off um, or the company <laughs> that I'm working for has other plans or is moving in another direction, I'd rather be in a position where Again, we talked earlier about having the law degree and the benefit of having that law degree. In the worst case scenario, if you kind of venture away and decide, you know what, I want to return to that world, you can find there's a road back for you. So for me, I'd rather be in the position of my worst case scenario being go find you a job and a job that's going to pay you pretty decently um, rather than being in the opposite position of worrying about what happens if I lose my job through no fault of my own um, or, you know, the stock market tanks and along with it, my 401k prospects until there's a recovery. So again, diversification is a key principle to, to, to follow and adhere to. No doubt about it, man. I mean, if you're totally reliant on one stream of income, I mean, that's a very risky position to be in. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, unless it's a family owned business um, <laughs> uh, where you're uh, kind of loved within the family, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, even if you're going to continue doing that, make sure that you, you're working on lighting some fires um, outside of that. So you have something to fall back on. And, and, and again, if it's something that ultimately proves to be appealing to you, well, that's your perfect uh, place for you to land next, you know, if ultimately you decide you want to make a transition. Maybe because you're burned out, you've, you've done it, and, and it, you know, it's not, necessar not necessarily generating the challenge or the juices for you in the way that it was five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, again, I think we need to think about things more holistically. And, um, you know, there's, there's more to your life than you know, the, the 60, 70, 80 hours that you're putting in at the job. And um, you know, you know, if that is doing it for you, great. Um, but even then, I would say that you should be looking down the road for um, what does retirement look like? Or you know, if I were able to uh, shape the world in, in, in the way that I want it shaped, what would it look like? And, and where would I fit into it? And, and there's a good possibility that may not be in the role that you're in today. And so right. you know, why wait until, uh, you know, 20 years later to, to explore that? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you started out, you know, right out of law school, got a great job, and then you invested 50000 or $100,000 every year into these syndications or these commercial real estate deals, kind of how quickly your acceleration of money would have, would have happened. It would have been unbelievable. You'd be probably retired in... 10 years or absolutely, less. Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and before, you know, the, the children start coming and the responsibilities of, yep. of being a, 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 a husband and a father, um, you've got this disposable income. So 
um, you know, you should be thinking about, okay, yeah, they're telling me to put it into 401k, but you know, that's only, what is it, 19,000 a year that you can put in? Uh, yeah. Something along those lines. Um, uh, but many of you, many, many of your listeners are gonna have more than that that they can put, put to play, so put into play. So, you know, start educating yourself on those alternatives. And um, even if you end up spending 15, 20 years, um, you know, in the world that you're in now, um, you're going to have a nice nest egg uh, that you can manipulate um, that's waiting for you, you know, when you get to that point in time where you say, okay, time for me to exit stage left. Yeah. And try to put off those golden handcuffs, man. Like you don't need to buy a new five series every three years. Even when I was highly compensated, I, I always, you know, I, I mentioned I come from humble beginnings. So um, I, I, I never got too far away from who I was as a kid and, 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 and how I saw my parents managing money or, or stretching money um, to make ends meet. And so I, I've always been an advocate of living within your means. Um, and so um, it wasn't when I ultimately decided to step away from corporate life, it wasn't a shock to the system. Because it, it, it wasn't like I had the, you know, I had the lease on the Lamborghini or and, and, the, <laughs> and the, you know, vacation house at Martha's Vineyard and this and that. And, <laughs> and I had to rein all of that in. Uh, that, that wasn't who I was. And so while I, I took a substantial step back in terms of you know, income and, and compensation, uh, my day-to-day -day lifestyle didn't change much. And, and, and um, you know, that's, that's something that folks need to be thinking about is, am I living a lifestyle that I could support if this job ended tomorrow? Um, and if the answer is no, you're kind of handcuffed to that job. And, and so yeah. goes that job, so goes that <laughs> company, that industry, that sector, so goes you. And so if you're not looking for those alternatives or planting those seeds, um, you know, you can find yourself in a position you don't wanna be in. Yep, yep. And I share a similar story, man. My mom's a school teacher, my dad was a coal miner and you know, humble beginnings and you just gotta kinda stay practical. It's time for the Freedom Four. All right, man. Well, let's jump into the Freedom Four. So in an alternative universe where you weren't involved in real estate, what would you be doing? Feel free to be creative. So I, I, <laughs> yeah, so when I think about that, I think about why am I doing real estate, right? So for yeah. me, it's a pathway to freedom. And so the question... Uh, another version of the question is what would you do with your freedom? And so for me, travel. <laughs> yeah. So the ability to travel um, and uh, do that at my discretion and my leisure, um, that's something I'd probably be doing. Um, I, lo I love, um, and it's related to real estate, I love kind of interior design. Um, oh, cool. That's something that I've always had an interest in, but you know, I thought, you know, as a lawyer, you know, lawyers don't do interior <laughs> design. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I was able to discover as I kind of ventured off into this path that, yeah, you, you have an eye for it. And, and this is something that brings you pleasure and, and joy. So, um, I'd probably be doing some form of travel and interior design. That's cool, man. My wife's an interior designer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Um, 
exercise, um, although I don't do it as consistently as I need to, but I definitely try and uh, do exercise on a, on a, uh, on a daily or every, every other day basis. Um, and I'm also getting into mindfulness more so these days. My, my wife has, has done it a fair bit over the years now. And I think some of that's rubbing off on me. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to incorporate that into um, kind of my exercise with the mindfulness um, just to kind of clear my mind um, and, uh, you know, clear the cobwebs. Very cool, man. Yeah, you've got to have those things to kind of clear it out and, and perform your best on a, from a business standpoint. For sure. Yeah. So where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself in your business five years from now? Yeah, five years ago, I was uh, chief compliance officer. Um, I had kind of built from the ground up a compliance department and I had gotten to the point where um, things were kind of on autopilot. Um, I wasn't necessarily being challenged and stretched um, and growing in the way that you, every individual should want to. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I was probably in a comfortable place, if you will. And, um, you know, when I put that behind me and kind of stepped out on faith and, and kind of stepped outside of my comfort zone, um, and, and embarked on this journey of real estate. Um, you know, I think it's now taken me in a direction where you know, five years from now, um, I will be heavily immersed in the world of real estate and, and not necessarily just the, the space that I'm in now. I, I see myself uh, venturing off and, and getting into the world of development on a, in an active way. Um, and so that seems to be a natural stepping stone. Um, for, for many people in, in the real estate world. And, and that's probably a place that I see myself being in the, in the next five years. Awesome, man. Awesome. So how has passive income made your life better? Um, passive income has sustained me for the past <laughs> few years um, without a W-2 job. Um, it certainly hasn't, you know, I didn't get to the point where it replaced the income that I kind of left behind. Um, but my passive investments in rental real estate, um, uh, my investments in those, those rentals that ultimately I either held on to or ultimately sold has been able to sustain me. And so um, for me, it's, it's been the bridge to what is next. And um, you know, without it, I'm not sure that I would have had the opportunity to um, have stepped away in the first place and have stayed away um, yeah. for almost four years now that I've been away from corporate life and, and all that goes along with it. Yeah. It's giving you freedom, man. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. That's the part of the why. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Clive. It's been an awesome show, man. Where can the listeners find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, listeners can reach out to me. I, I love talking about real estate. Um, I'd be happy to talk to especially lawyers and, and help them uh, into recovery um, <laughs> if, if they want to be there. So they can find me, uh, email Clive, C-L-I-V-E, at parkroyalcapital.com. Uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. I'm active on Facebook. So those are two destinations you can find me. And um, yeah, I'd love to chat with your listeners and 
talk real estate and talk uh, recovery from the legal uh, careers that we uh, <laughs> uh, want to leave behind. Uh, that's great, Clive. I really appreciate you coming on today, man. Thanks, Seth. I appreciate it. Glad to be a guest. Yes, sir. Clive delivered so much value, I barely needed to say a word. Everything that he said was pure gold. He painted a clear picture on how we can invest passively while still practicing or working full-time in a highly demanding career. We'll definitely have to have Clive visit us again in the near future. If you want to get more information on investing in alternative assets on Main Street, get over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and download our free Passive Investing Guide. All right, guys, got to run for now. Celebrate the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.